If you have your Bibles, get them out. Luke 16. The parable of the dishonest manager, the shrewd manager. Maybe your subtitle says shrewd or dishonest steward. Oh, man. Well, this is, I think, easily uh, the most difficult parable to understand, and it might be one of the most difficult passages in the whole Bible to understand. If we didn't have this video of the modern parable, I probably would have skipped it, (laughs) because it's really difficult. Uh, But it's good. Uh, let's, Let's just read this real quick. Read it again in its original context, and you'll notice this comes immediately following our parable from last week of the prodigal son, or the prodigal sons, or the two sons. So remember, Jesus told those three parables, the parable of the lost coin, or the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son, uh, speaking mainly to the Pharisees. So now, in chapter 16, verse 1, he turns to his disciples. So they're still there. Pharisees are still over here. But now, he's been teaching them, and now he kind of turns to his, his guys, his, his disciples. And he said to the disciples... There was a rich man who had a manager, and charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. And he called him and said to him, What is this that I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be manager. And the manager said to himself, What shall I do, since my master is taking the management away from me? Not strong enough to dig, and I'm too ashamed to beg. I've decided what to do so that when I'm removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. So summoning his managers or summoning his master's debtors one by one, he said to the first, How much do you owe my master? And the guy said, A hundred measures of oil. So the manager said to him, Take your bill, sit down and quickly write fifty. Then he said to another, And how much do you owe? He said, A hundred measures of wheat. So the manager said to him, Take your bill and write eighty. Then I just don't get it. Then the master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. And then here's, here's Jesus now talking again to his disciples. He's done telling the parable, but then he says to his disciples, For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. What? <laughs> this, is, <laughs> this is really, really confusing. So let's just recap this from what we've watched and what we just read. So a man is charged for basically cheating the, ma- the master, right? He immediately goes and cheats the master even more. Then finding out about how much he's been cheated, the master then commends the guy for doing that. And then on top of that... Jesus says, be like that guy. <laughs> Come on, Jesus. Give us a little help here. This is, this is really, really difficult, but it's good. Okay, so we're going to try to understand this a little better as we try to then apply. So let's just go through this story again. So clearly he's cheated the guy. He, he cheated him in the, in the story, and he's, he's mismanaged the money or basically just stolen from the master. And did you notice the entire time in the first scene where the master is basically accusing the manager of cheating, he doesn't say anything, right? He keeps his mouth shut. 
and he does so here too. He doesn't offer any defense. He just doesn't say anything. He's basically kind of pleading the fifth, right? Like you would do in court when you don't want to say something that might get you in more trouble. You keep your mouth shut when you're in court. You plead the fifth. So his silence, his not saying anything, is kind of confessing to it. He's not defending himself. He did it. But then, what does the master do? The, Mr. Jennings, the master in our story, told Jasper, he says, Jasper, your destiny is in my hands. I hold your destiny in my hands. He says, I, I should call the sheriff, right? Shouldn't that have been what he should have done? Remember when, uh, from our parable of the unforgiving servant? What were the, what were the two options that the, first, the master, the king, was going to do? He was going to either put him in jail or what? Sell, sell him into slavery, right? So he should have at least like sold this guy into slavery. And our first, I mean, Mr. Jennings couldn't do this in modern day Missouri, but in our context, the, the master should have sold him so he could begin to work back some of this debt that he owed the master. But he didn't. What did he do? He basically just fired him. He showed him enormous mercy. And this mercy then is going to set the stage for the rest of the parable. If we, don't, if we miss that part, if we miss the mercy shown to the manager uh, in the beginning, we're going to miss the rest of the parable. So the manager then, he's kind of off the hook, but he's, he, he doesn't know what to do at first, right? But he's seen the generous and merciful nature of the master, and he basically says, I'm going to go all in on the fact that I think the master is going to be consistently generous, consistently merciful. I think this is part of his character and his nature, so I'm going to put, push in all my chips and bank on the fact that he's going to continue to be merciful, continue to be generous. So he makes a plan. He, remember, we saw in the parable, and we saw here, he's acting on the authority of the master, right? Anything that he does basically carries the weight of the, manager, of the master. So he can do stuff on the master's behalf. The problem is he's been fired, right? And, but everyone else in the town doesn't know that he's been fired. So they think he's still acting on behalf of the manager, but he's got to act quick. So I liked what they did in the movie. He's basically got an hour to get this thing done before the master, before the, the, the owner gets out of the doctor's office. Because what's going to happen? People are going to find out that he's been fired, and people are going to find out that he is actually not in a position to make the decisions that he's making on behalf of the master, right? The problem is, we saw in the movie, when people find out that he cheated the master out of all this money, he's not going to get rehired, right? He's not going to be able to get a job from somebody else because they know him to be dishonest. They know him to be a cheat, to be a thief. And so he's got to do something to not only, well, he's basically, what, he, what we see in the parable, he's basically coming up with a plan to endear himself to the rest of the town so that maybe he could be rehired by one of them. So, in our parable here, the reductions that he gives are enormous. Some guy comes in. I think what happens in this story is basically what, what we saw in the parable. That this master in, in our parable in Luke, six, Luke 16 is a farmer who owns lots of land. And what they did then and what they still do now, this master who owns all this farmland will rent out several acres to, to some people who then can sell what they make, but then they have to give some of what they make, some of their profit, back to the manager, basically paying rent. So we see the first guy, he owes 100 measures of oil. So 
likely. These were like olive trees, and he was renting from the master a couple acres of olive trees. And let's say maybe he, his year take, his year profit was 500 measures or 500 barrels of oil. So what he owed the master was 100. So like one-fifth, I'm just made up the, the 500 barrels, but like one-fifth of his profit he has to pay back to the master in rent. And so the, mas- the, the manager then says, quickly, write down 50. Just say you owe 50 instead of 100. And 50 barrels of oil would have been the equivalent of about 500 denarii. How much is a denarius? One day's wage. So this is like a year and a half's work, day's work, that he basically said, just, just keep it. And then the next guy comes in, and he owes uh, 100 measures of wheat. And the guy says, just write 80. So the proportional is a little different, but it actually is about the same. 500 denarii worth of wheat that he said, just keep for yourself. So this is a huge amount of generosity that these guys think that they've been shown by the master, which really they've just been shown by the manager. So we're presuming, but we're reading a little bit into this, but we can assume that what happens in the parable happened in here. It was a small town. The people go home and they start telling everybody about how generous and awesome this master, this landowner is. Look at how much money we've saved. Isn't he great and generous? And everybody starts talking about it. So, what's the landowner's reaction? If we didn't know the story, what would we expect the landowner's reaction to be? If he was kind of ticked off at the beginning, what should we expect his... Yeah, just like fury, right? Like, he is so angry. Not only has he been cheated in the first place, but now he's lost like 500 denarii per person. We only see two, but we can assume that it's like this. Like, one after the other truck is rolling in. And he's just lost thousands of denarii, right? He's lost a lot of money. So we could expect him, if he, didn't, if he just fired him and showed him some mercy at the beginning, that now he's really going to sell him or arrest him or what. But he's left with two options. He's left with two options. He can go back to the guys, to the debtors, to the farmers, and say that the manager acted illegally. He didn't have my authority. So whatever he said... Wasn't, wasn't right, you guys still owe me the 500 denarii that he said you could keep. But what will happen here? This will ruin the entire village opinion of the master, and whatever like, reputation of generosity that he had built for himself now is completely gone. They'll not only see him as not generous, but they'll hate him now, like he's unfair or something. And then the second option is to what? Keep quiet and let it slide, right? He loses his money, lots of money, but he gets to keep his generous reputation. So I love what Mr. Jennings said. He said, if I tell them you'd already been fired and they didn't get the drop, they ain't going to like it. But if I don't tell them and leave it where it is, I ain't going to like it, right? So it's kind of a rock and a hard place, right? He's got to make a decision, and he basically decides he's going to keep his generous reputation but lose a ton of money. But then, if that isn't enough, then he tells the manager... In our story here, uh, he commends him for his shrewdness. And in our movie, he basically said when God was giving out gifts, he didn't hold back on giving you brains or something like that. He basically said, good job, attaboy. You did real good. (laughs) What? And then Jesus gives this really, really cryptic and hard to understand little conclusion here in verses 8 and 9. Let's read it again. For the sons of this world, 
So he's basically saying the manager. The manager is a son of this world. They are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light, you, my disciples. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth so that when it fails, they may receive you into the internal, eternal dwellings. Okay, so what's the point? Should we just cheat on our taxes? You guys that have jobs, when you're closing up the shop, should you just grab a 10, grab a 20 out of the cash register on your way out, right? Should we just kind of be dishonest and cheat our bosses? What, what are some possibilities? Let's try to think through this. What in the world might the manager or the master and Jesus be commending here? Why do you think Jesus is telling us to be like this guy? What are some possibilities? Yeah, what do you think? Maybe. So he's being merciful to the landowners or to the, the, the renters. Maybe. Anybody else got any ideas? Nobody? He's commending his sarcasm. <laughs> the, whole, the whole parable is sarcasm. Jesus is just saying, that was a funny joke, right? Anybody else have any ideas? Phil? Okay. Use what you have. Okay. Possibly. Uh, yeah, I think that's very, you're, you're getting there. But is it good business practice to cheat your boss? <laughs> yeah, I think we're close, though. We're getting there. Okay, let me... Our friend Snodgrass said this week, there's a difference between commending his dishonesty and commending his shrewdness or his cleverness. So shrewd basically means, like, clever, like conniving, trying to, not necessarily in a bad way, but, like, thinking making a plan and going through with it and trying to think through what might work best. So, I read another guy this week said that this man is a fraud, our, our, our manager, but he is a most ingenious fraud, isn't he? The, the, the manager is a rascal, but he is a wonderfully clever rascal. So, when the moment of crisis comes, remember, when he gets back to his house, he goes in and talks to his dog and he says, judgment day's here. Right? It is judgment day for this guy. It is a, remember, remember this word, eschatological? What does this word mean? Remember? Remember? End, end times, right? Like the study of the end times is the study of eschatology. This man is at an eschatological crisis. It is the moment of judgment for him. When it comes to his moment of crisis, the dishonest man uses dishonesty, more dishonesty, to be rewarded under the, the system underneath the world that he lives. He knows his system in and out. He knows the character and what the likely reaction of the master is going to be. He knows what the reaction of the renters that he's giving discounts to. He knows, he knows completely the financial ins and outs of everything. He knows his system like the back of his hand. 
hold on. I don't, I don't, I hate that idiom. I don't know my, the back of my hand at all, but sorry, go ahead. Uh, he, he knows his system down. He's got it. He knows exactly what's going to happen, and so he makes a plan to go through with, under that system. So I think possibly that Jesus, again, is making an argument from the lesser to the greater. Remember, we've, done, we've, we've seen two arguments from the lesser to the greater, one in the Sermon on the Mount and one in another parable. Do you guys remember what those were? What was our Sermon on the Mount argument from the lesser to the greater? Remember? The sparrows, yeah. If God cares so much for the birds of the air and the flowers of the field, these lesser things, these things that don't matter at all, then how much more will he care for you, the greater thing, the one who's made in his image? If he cares for the lesser thing, then of course he's going to care for the greater thing. And you guys remember our, our parable that we talked about from the argument from the lesser to the greater? Remember? Anybody? Parable of the Good Samaritan. If these Samaritans, these lesser guys who have kind of an incomplete understanding of the law, of, of the Bible, of God's worship, of the temple, if they, if they can understand how to love and be merciful to others, then how much more should you, you people of God, care and love for other people? So here I think Jesus is doing the same thing. If these people, these sons of darkness understand their system and make plans accordingly, then how much more should you, you sons and daughters of light, you, my people, should understand your system under which you live and make plans accordingly. So, Jesus clearly calls this guy, the manager, a son of the world, a son of darkness. And Jesus then is dividing he does this all throughout, all the Gospels, more so in Matthew than any of the other Gospels, but he does, he divides the world in the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light, or kingdom of heaven, or kingdom of God, right? And he's saying that with his coming, he is the king, and he is beginning, or inaugurating, or starting the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of light, into the darkness. So this kingdom now is invading, he is invading the kingdom of darkness, and the kingdom is even coming more. So there is a coming, shall we say, judgment or coming kingdom. Something is coming, just like judgment was coming for our manager. The kingdom is fully coming one day for us. So how much more should you make plans in light of what is coming? So he's saying, while that should be true, the reality is, those sons of darkness act more consistently and make better plans for their kingdom than you do for your kingdom, you sons of light. You don't make plans. You don't, you don't know your system as well as they do. So sons of darkness, our manager here, usually always make decisions for themselves. What's going to benefit me the most? And Jesus, I think, is saying, that's kingdom of darkness stuff. That is kingdom of darkness stuff. How should we make plans? How should we make decisions? How should we be shrewd and clever based on the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God? So that's great. But then remember this verse 8 and 9. It is confusing. Uh, 
when he says, so I think I've, I've just explained a little bit, the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. Sons of darkness understand their system better than, better than you do, my disciples. But then this really, really confusing one, where he says, and I tell you, make friends for yourself by means of unrighteous wealth. What in the world? Well, our buddy, our buddy Snodgrass, he says that Jesus probably means that we should use our money, our resources, the stuff that we have, which belong to the kingdom of darkness. This is kingdom of darkness resources, right? It's not like, uh, it's not necessarily bad, but it belongs to the kingdom of darkness. We're not going to need money and stuff to spend on necessarily in the new kingdom. So he's saying use this stuff that can be used for unrighteousness to bless those around you, to bless those who need it, to put ourselves in good standing with the small village that everybody knows the manager, right? And he used his money, his resources, to make sure that people thought well of him. We should use our money, our resources, so that those around us might think well of God, our king. So use kingdom of darkness stuff for kingdom of heaven purposes, I think is Jesus' conclusion here. So the truly wise person or the shrewd person will then prepare for, make decisions in light of the coming kingdom, okay? And like the manager, we should ask, man, what should I do? What should I do? How should I use my stuff? How can I be most effective in the kingdom of light, in the system under which I live? So, for instance, We've, we moved here last summer, right, and we signed a one-year lease on a house, so we're just renting it, but we're thinking about buying a house next summer. And so one of the things we're thinking through is not only uh, where, where should we live so it's most convenient for me to get to work, or what house is going to be the best house, the most square footage for our money, all this stuff, but one thing we're trying to think through is how can we be most effective for the kingdom where we live? How, where, God, will you place us in a neighborhood that you can use us? Um, We're thinking about five or ten years from now, maybe planning a church. And we love this city. It's great. And I would love to stay here. Or maybe Austin is an awesome city that we love. But now, after really going through this parable and thinking through it, now I'm beginning to think, God, where will you have us plant a church, Lord willing, someday? Uh, that we can be most effective for the kingdom, not just that's most comfortable for us. Um, And so I think those are big life decisions that I'm thinking through, but these kind of decisions we face every day. So one of the questions you're going to go through in your small groups in just a minute is, where can I be most effective in just everyday decisions? Stuff like, what should I do tonight, right? We don't have to always think about, like, man, if I'm not out knocking on doors, sharing the gospel, then I'm misappropriating, misusing God's resource of my time, right? But do you guys ever, like, think about a plan to be most effective for the kingdom? Like, what can I do this week to make a shrewd plan for my king, not just myself? So... Let me wrap it up here. We're going to talk about 
money more. I'm, I'm talking about all of your resources. How do you use your stuff? And that includes money, time, um, anything that you may have, your house, your wisdom, your knowledge, any of that. We're going to talk more specifically about money in two weeks. Remember, we're not meeting next week, but we're going to keep going in the end of chapter 16 about the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. But let me finish here. Just like the manager sat in complete silence, he had no defense for himself, we are just like the manager, right? The case against us is opened and closed. We have cheated the master out of praise and worship and glory and hogged it all for ourselves. It's an open and shut case against us, right? But like the manager, we know the master to be merciful towards us, generous towards us. He showed us in the beginning of the parable, right? The master did. And God shows us every day his mercy towards us and letting us live a new day and let us be in a great church and revealing himself to us in his word and certainly in the person of Jesus, right? And like the manager, our only hope is to continue to trust in that nature of God the nature of his graciousness, of his grace and his mercy towards us. But, remember, parables aren't analogies, right? Or parables are analogies. They're kind of like something, but they're not exact portraits. So we don't have to come think of some shrewd and conniving plan to let God, just make God let us off the hook, right? We don't have to make any plans. God has made the plan for us. We don't make it. God made it. That's why I read Genesis 3 this morning. From the very beginning, God had a plan to move towards us and redeem us. Not so we don't have to make a shrewd and clever plan. God made the shrewd and clever plan. That's why I love, man, I love, if you guys were in the first service this morning, when we sang, um, Come Thou Fount, I love the verse that says, Jesus sought me when a stranger, wandering from the fold of God. I was just like the manager, wandering, didn't want to be near the shepherd at all. But he interposed his precious blood to rescue me. All right? So he made the plan to move towards us that we might be reconciled with him. But he's made the plan. He's offered it. But if we don't believe it, take the plan that he's given us, then we still stand condemned, right? We still stand where we should be, sold into slavery, arrested, right? Unforgiven. But we have to trust and rest in the plan that he, the, shrew, the very shrewd and clever plan that he has made to move towards us. So, we understand this a little better? It's still kind of confusing. Basically, know the system under which you live. Know the kingdom in which you live. You Christians, if you are a Christian, if you are believing in Jesus, then you no longer belong to the current world, the current kingdom of darkness. You have now been transferred into a kingdom of light. So know that kingdom of light and make plans, make decisions according to that kingdom rather than that one. Because the people that we live with, the people that you go to school with, that are still in that kingdom of darkness, they act more consistently in their kingdom than you do in yours, more often than not. So understand the kingdom in which you live. Okay? All right.